Hey, I'm honored to have you with us once again. My name is Pastor Trevor. My wife, Lindsay, and I lead Radical Church with our two kiddos, Oakland and Tegan. And I'm going to hop straight into the message today because uh, I believe that God has given me a word for today. On our three-year birthday as a church, I want to preach to you about forgiveness. We started a series on forgiveness this last week, and we talked about me versus offense being offended. We got to deal with us first, the internal side of things, or else we're going to go around forgiving people for things that they didn't even do. Amen. You know what I'm talking about. We got to make sure our heart and our spirit is right before others and before God. But today, I want to preach to you a message called, Me Times Myself. Somebody say, Myself. Me Times Myself. Our series is 70 times Seven, which is the idea that Peter talks to Jesus about. And he says, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? Is it one, two, three, five, maybe up to seven? And Jesus is actually, yes, yeah, seven, seven times 70, which for all you math people out there is 490. The reason that he's saying that is basically you have to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive again. And how many of y'all know that that's tough, right? But the hardest person to forgive in your life the most difficult person that you will ever have to forgive is you. How many of y'all know it's hard to forgive yourself for the things that you've done in your past? For the things that you're not very proud of? For the things that you've done that you know you've sinned against God, you know you've hurt other people in your life, and, and maybe there was one time where you messed up that project at work and you were really trying to get a promotion. And you messed it up real bad and, and now somebody else gets the promotion and now your family's in a worse financial situation because of it. You thought that was it, but man, you really just messed it up. And you're like, God, why did I do that? I can't believe I did that. It's hard to forgive yourself. Maybe you're used to a certain lifestyle and you spend too much money going shopping with the girls down there in San Marcos. Come on, some of y'all. Some husbands, y'all know what I'm talking about. You see the Amazon bill and you're like, oh my goodness, what in the world have you done, right? But you find yourself maybe drowning in debt. And it's hard to forgive yourself for that. Life gets so busy and you stop working out. You used to take care of your body and take care of yourself as so you stop working out. And life is so busy and, and it's so stressful. And, and so in the stress, you start eating that double quarter pounder a few more times than you probably should. Come on, somebody. And you get to the point where now you have health problems later in life. And you look back over the years and you're like, man, I can't believe I did that. It's hard to forgive yourself. And you work so hard maybe. Men, this might relate to you. You work so hard at your job to provide for your kids. And in working so hard to provide for your kids, you end up not being around for your kids. And you're working real hard and you have a late night at the office and you forget maybe about your daughter's dance recital. And you forgot about your son's baseball game. And the wife calls and she said, where are you? You're supposed to be here. You're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I forgot. It's happened two or three times now, three or four times now, and you already know what your son and what your daughter's face looks like when they look up into the stands and dad isn't there. It's hard to forgive yourself for that. You drank too much one night. It was just one night that you drank too much and you got in the car, you thought you were fine, and you got a DUI. And now this DUI is following you around everywhere you go, and it's, it's hard to maybe even get a job and People look at you differently. You look at yourself differently. Why? Because it's hard to forgive yourself for that. 
Maybe your first marriage fell apart and you've tried to move on. You're like, no, I'm good. I can move on. I'm all right. And, and, but the, the thoughts constantly in your mind as you're trying to move on in life, uh, what I could have done differently, what I should have done differently. And those thoughts eat you alive from the inside out. It's hard to forgive yourself. Amen? The guilt and the shame of your past weaves its way into your mind. And it tells you that who you used to be is who you still are today. And that who you are today is who you will always be tomorrow and forever. That there's no hope for your future. And the mistakes that you've made are too great for you to move on from. That they will define your life forever. And you might think that you've moved on. You might think that you're a different person. But nah. You're lying to yourself and you're lying to everyone around you. You're still that same messed up, broken person. That's how guilt and shame and condemnation will get into our hearts and our lives. Now, forgiveness starts with recognizing that you have done something wrong. Now, I know there's some people out there that think they ain't ever done anything wrong. They all that in a bag of chips. You know, I have a four-year-old son. His name is Oakland. He ain't ever think he's done anything wrong. If anything bad ever happens, it wasn't me, right? Like, <laughs> it was dad, you know? And so just a few days ago, um, actually it was yesterday, I get a call from Lindsay, my wife, and, and she says, Trev, why in the world did you give Oakland ice cream while I was gone? I said, first off, no. Don't call me like that. Second off, I did not give him any ice cream. What are you talking about? And she was like, well, then why is there a bowl in the sink filled with chocolate syrup? The ice cream is out, and the ice cream scoop is in the sink as well. And I was like, listen, that was not me. I have no idea what you're talking about. So she goes to Oakland and says, Oakland, when did you get this ice cream? Dad says that he wasn't even around. He said, oh, it was when Dad was asleep on the couch. This kid in the middle, I fell asleep watching sports or something like that. He comes in and grabs some ice. He's so sneaky. He got the ice cream out without me waking up. Come on, you can't really wake me up. It's tough to wake this guy up. But anyway, he gets the ice cream, gets the ice cream scoop. And I was like, honestly, well, at least he got the scoop. Good job, kid. Anyway, sneaks the ice cream in the middle of the night and was trying to be like, wasn't me. It's like trying to put it on me like I did something. You know, like, come on, guys, leave me alone. He ain't never done nothing wrong in his eyes. But here's the deal. Most of us are not like that, okay? Most of us are very, very aware of our failures. Most of us are very aware of the sins that we have committed against God, against others, and the hurts that we have caused, maybe even onto ourselves. We're very aware, sometimes to the extreme. It starts with recognizing that you've done wrong, recognizing that you've sinned, recognizing you've made a mistake, but then feeling sorrowful for that failure, sorrowful for how we have hurt somebody else, sorrowful for how we have hurt even ourselves and ultimately God. But not all sorrow is created equal. Not all sorrow is created equal. Let me show you. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. You see the two different kinds right there. Somebody say, godly sorrow. And then worldly sorrow. There's two different kinds. So what's the difference between the two of these? I'm going to go with worldly sorrow first. Let's talk about it. What is worldly sorrow? Well, it leads to this word called condemnation. 
Condemnation is what happens when you have the sorrow of the world. The sorrow of the world is not focused on God. It's not focused on others. Who is it focused on? It's focused on me. It's focused on how I've messed up and my failure, and I can't believe I got caught, and now what's going to happen to me in my life, and all this is so awful, awful for me. It's terrible. And maybe you are worried about other people too, but you get so internally focused that all you can think of is your own feelings and your own emotions, and, and you get down this path that leads to condemnation. Now, the Bible says this. The Bible says that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Like, God does not condemn you, so who is condemning you? That is not God. That comes from the enemy. If you are feeling condemned and you're feeling guilty to the point where you lead, it leads you to this place of depression, it leads you to this place where you absolutely are in a place of depression and anxiety and worry. And ultimately, what does it say it leads to? It says, worldly sorrow brings death. If you're in that place, and I want you to know that that is not from God. Uh, there's an example in scripture of worldly sorrow. And, and the best example I think I could give is Judas. Judas, one of the disciples of Jesus. One of the men that Jesus handpicked himself to walk with him, to talk with him, to hang out with him, to dine with him, to be a part of his inner circle, to be a part of his life. And Jesus empowered all 12 of the disciples to go and spread the good news that the kingdom of God is here. And yet, Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Betrays him with a kiss. And then Jesus is taken into custody and he's killed on a cross. And we see that he has this overwhelming sorrow. Judas does. He, it says that he goes into this place of absolute depression. He says, I've sinned against an innocent man. I've shed innocent blood. Notice he doesn't say anything necessarily about God. He says, I've shed innocent blood. He goes into this place of depression. He goes back to the people that paid him off. And he, and, and he says, listen, I don't, I don't want your money. You know, I, I don't even want to have this blood money on my hands. And, and they won't even, he throws it down on the ground and he just runs away. And you can see there's just kind of this, like, this anxiety that's within him. And you got to imagine his thoughts. He's thinking, there's no way I could come back from this. He knew that Jesus was the son of God. They already had that revelation. The disciples knew that Jesus was the son of God. So you got to imagine I just gave up the Son of God to be killed and tortured and put on a cross. I can never come back from that. There's no way. It's too great. God can never use me again. There's no way that I could ever receive forgiveness from God and ever forgive myself. It leads him down this dark path of depression, and he hangs himself. The worldly sorrow eventually led to what? Death. But there's another kind of sorrow. It's godly sorrow. And it leads to this thing not called condemnation, but it's called conviction. Somebody say conviction. You ever felt convicted before in your heart? You know, you've done something wrong you knew you was not supposed to, okay? And, and sometimes it's the Holy Spirit that's working in your heart that convicts your heart. Yes, it doesn't feel good, right? But it leads you down a different path. I think the difference between condemnation and conviction is that condemnation will lead you down a dark path farther away from God. Conviction of the Holy Spirit will lead you closer to God. So if you are feeling condemned and you're going into a place where you're far from God and, you, and it's farther away, come on, now we have the kids. Y'all hear the kids back there? Come on, they're having a good time back in Rad Kids today. Amen. I love kids' ministry. Anyway, if it's leading you down a place 
that's farther away from God, and you feel depressed, anxious, worried, doubtful, then that is not from God. But if you will turn and repent, and you will walk away from the old way of living, if you will walk away from that sin, and you say, you know what, this hurts, uh, but I'm feeling bad about it. Who, what voice is in my head right now? Is it Satan leading me down a path of condemnation, or is it God leading me down a path of conviction? And if it's from the Holy Spirit, it's going to lead you closer to God and end up bringing you life and salvation. And the best part is it says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation that leaves no regrets. Oh, man, that would be nice, wouldn't it? How many of y'all got some regrets? Come on now, I know I got a few. I got a whole lot of things that I wish that I would not have done. But it says that if you go down this path, and it's the Holy Spirit working within you, and it leads you to repentance, and you change the way that you live, and you walk towards Jesus now, remembering that, hey, I've really messed up, but it's not going to eat you alive. It's not going to define you any longer. It's there, and you'll remember it, but, man, God's forgiven you for it, and you got to be able to forgive yourself. So there's two different kinds of sorrow, worldly and godly. What's an example of godly sorrow? Well, I think King David is the best place to start for godly sorrow. The story goes, David's anointed king over Israel. He becomes the king. And yet, as he's walking about in his castle here, he's looking out uh, in his kingdom, and he sees this, this woman that's bathing on top of her roof. Her name's Bathsheba. He ends up calling for her from one of his servants and brings her into his quarters. And his servant says, hey, this is Uriah's wife. He says, I don't care. Brings her into his room and sleeps with her. She comes back and says, I'm pregnant. Oh, Lord Jesus, it was one time, and yet she's pregnant. And so now David, instead of just saying, you know what, let me just stop right there. I've already sinned against God. i got to stop right now. He, no, he actually adds insult to injury. He, he knows Uriah, and he sends for him. He talks with him, and then he gives him a letter. And in this letter that he gives to Uriah, it's a letter to one of the commanders in the battle that they were about to embark on. And in the letter it says, let Uriah go out into the front in the place where the battle is the most fierce. And then I want you all to pull back and I want you to make sure that Uriah is killed in this battle. David sends the letter with Uriah to his commander that he was going to be killed. That's crazy. You know what David was? David was a home wrecker. Come on now. David was a home wrecker. That's what he was. Let's be real. He takes this guy's wife, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant. And then ends up getting her husband killed in battle. This is like Mari on steroids, people, okay? This is like crazy stuff that we're seeing here. And yet, what ends up happening here? David sins, he has godly sorrow, because there is a man called Nathan, a prophet, that comes to him, and he rips into David. He tells him a story, a parable, and he just rips into David. And he says, I have sinned against God. Notice where his affections turned in that moment. Judah says, I've shed innocent blood. But he says, I have sinned against God. It's not about him and about the consequences for him. He says, I've sinned against the creator of the universe. He understands how deep and how bad he has wounded even God himself and people around him. But it leads him to a place of repentance. And now, in the Bible, it says that David was a man after God's own heart. Now, let's be real. Would you call a homewrecker that slept with another dude's wife, got her pregnant, had the husband killed, would you call that a man after God's own heart? Probably not. If he was a pastor, that dude would be canceled, right? Let's be real. 
And yet, there's forgiveness for him. And God calls him, it's a man after God's own heart. Most of the songs that you and I sing today, many of the lyrics that we sing in all of our worship music are inspired by the book of Psalms, which David himself wrote. Now, the things that he went through, God was able to use them for good. The things that he messed up in a huge failure in his life, God used them for good. And let me tell you today, if you think that what you have done is too great for God to forgive, you are absolutely wrong today. Because why? God is a God of second chances. Come on, somebody. How many of y'all know that God is a God of second chances? That there was a guy, his name is Rocky, and he thought that there was no way out. And yet, God brought Rocky from death to life. Amen. The same way he's brought you from death to life, me from death to life. He snatched him right out of the clutches of death and of Satan and of sin and brought him into a beautiful place. And today, he was actually serving in the production booth this morning. Roxy was serving this morning, and their family is here in church today. Come on, can we give God praise for the Garza family and what God has done in, in, in them and through them? God is a God of second chances. Here's the problem. We don't like to give second chances. I ain't a fan of giving second chances. Maybe some single people in here. Maybe some married people, you go back and remember a time when you had a first date, right? Maybe you go on a first date and the girl starts talking about her 15 cats that she owns. How many of y'all know I'm not giving you a second chance? <laughs> Ladies, you're on a date with a guy and he starts talking like, she said, what do you do for a living? Well, you know, I'm between jobs right now and, you know, I'm just kind of like doing a lot of a lot of gaming with the bros, you know? Like, we just, I just love Madden and, and Call of Duty. We stay up real late and play. Sometimes, like, 2, 3 in the morning, so I'm pretty tired. Sorry for that, you know? I'm not giving you a second chance. <laughs> we don't like to give second chances. Maybe you go to a restaurant. You get there, and, and, and you, you, you take forever to get seated. The host is rude. The waiter takes forever to get to you. Finally, they do get to you, and they're rude. They're just so rude. They're stressed out. They don't know what they're doing. They're rude, having an off day, whatever it might be, but they're just not very nice. And, and you finally get your order in, and the food takes forever. Oh, my goodness. The food finally comes, and it's cold. Come on. I've been waiting 45 minutes for this steak, and it is cold. You eat the food. It's not good food. You finally pay the check, and you get out of there. You're like, listen, I'm not giving that place a second chance. We are not going back there. That was awful. Now, this one might hit a little closer to home. We also do this with churches. Ooh, come on, somebody. You go to a church and you're like, I don't know, the pastor dude's a little bit weird. He's a little off. The worship, I'm not so sure about that. I don't know if I like that. The cupcakes, you know, they use the wrong kind of icing. I didn't really like the cupcakes today. And we don't give churches a second chance very often, but so if that is you and you don't like to give churches a second chance and you're a first-time guest, just make an exception for Radical Church today. Come on, somebody. Amen. Well, when someone hurts us, oh, we don't like to give a second chance. Look what you did to me. Look what you said about me. Look what you did or you said to my kid. Mm, mm -mm. You ain't getting a second chance after that. And yet, that's not how God deals with us. And I'm so grateful that that's not how God deals with us. We don't give second chances often. So it's hard for us, I think, to receive a second chance because we don't even understand the idea of second chances because it's not in our natural nature. But yet God, that is his nature to give a second chance, to forgive, to offer mercy, to offer grace and offer love where there is none deserved. God offers us this, but you, you might say, you don't know what I've done, pastor. 
You have no idea what I've done. I don't deserve a second chance. Man, none of us do. I don't. You certainly don't. None of us do. Well, how could God use me after what I've done? God used Saul, who literally killed Christians for sport, to take the message of Jesus all around the world. Are you serious? You think that God can't use you after the things that you've done? You think God can't offer you forgiveness? And yet God used this man, Saul, to take the good news of Jesus all across the world and write most of the New Testament that you and I read today. Man, he had two names, this guy, Saul, but also Paul. That's how you probably know him. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name. And this was common to have two different names in that society. And so Jesus uh, appears to Saul. And it's called the Damascus Road Experience. He's on his way to Damascus, and Jesus physically appears to him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There's a series of events that happens, but eventually Saul gets saved in that moment. And soon after, he's commissioned by Jesus to go to preach the good news to the Gentiles and all throughout the Roman Empire and beyond. So he goes out into the Roman Empire, and at some point, we don't know when, he starts using his other name, his Roman name of Paul. Why would he do that? I think it's pretty obvious when you look at the context. The reason for the name change is that in order to reach the people effectively that he was trying to reach, he needed to identify with his Roman citizenship. He had to use his Roman name. With that, he was able to access uh, different parts of the world. He was able to access different people and talk to people in a more normal way because his name sounded more like theirs and it made sense to them. And he was able to identify with them. He said, I'll become all things to all people. Ultimately, the name change was in order for Saul to eventually do what God had called him to do. He had to become Paul. In his former life, when he persecuted Christians, he went by his old name, Saul. But when God calls him into his purpose, when God calls him into something greater, he had to have a name change. Let me tell you today, you cannot step into the plans and purposes of God for your life until you start going by the right name for the job. You cannot step into the plans and purposes God has for your life until you go by the right name for the job. Listen, I do not identify with my sinful past any longer. Amen? The Bible says, I am not a slave to sin. I am a child of God. So my name has got to change. Let me tell you, somebody in this room, your name has got to change today. You got to switch from your old way of life into a new way of life. You got to go from the old way and become the new man. Take the past and leave it where it is in the past and move on toward your future. Because my old name was down and defeated, but my new name is different. They used to call me addicted, hopeless. I used to go by guilty and condemned, but now I go by a different name today. And what is that name? Come on, somebody say forgiven by the name of Jesus, forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody, give God praise today. I'm victorious in the name of Jesus. My failure doesn't define me. It doesn't. I don't identify with my failures. I don't identify with my past. I'm moving on to the future that God has for me. I might have failed, but I'm certainly not finished yet. I got a lot more life to live, a lot more things to do. And I don't have time to sit there and be thinking about my past when God's not thinking about it. He's already forgiven me for it. It's time to let go of your past. It's time to receive 
God's forgiveness. If you want to forgive yourself, you have to understand where it comes from. It really truly does come from God. Do you know he's the author of forgiveness? He was the first one that ever had to forgive. And it's time to receive his forgiveness today. Now Jesus, we know that he was on the cross and there were some awful, awful things that happened to him. Some awful things that happened in him in that time when he was beaten, he was bruised, his beard was pulled out, he had a, a crown of thorns put on his head. There's so many of you that are in this room today, I know your story. You don't know everybody's story, but I know your story. I know what you've done because you've told me. And you were crying and you were upset on the phone with me when you called. You sent me a text, sent me an email. Can't believe what I've done. I can't believe I'm back in the same place again. And there's just a spirit of condemnation that's over people. And it's got to go. I see it so many times. I was in that place. There was a time when I was running from God. When I was running away from the calling that God had put on me, and I'm so grateful that he gave me a second chance. And, and even as the pastor of this church, can I be honest? There are some times when Satan's little voice will try to get in and whisper to me, you ain't no different than you were. You're lying to yourself. I'm like, come on, man. I know now the difference between God's voice and Satan's voice. I've learned to hear the difference. Why? Because that's condemnation. That's not from God. God says, it's gone. You don't got to worry about that anymore. You're my son. You're my daughter. You need to live free from sin, free from condemnation. And step in to the fullness of what I have for you in your life. And so Jesus is on this cross, awful things happening to him. And as he is hanging on the cross, people are literally murdering him right there in the moment. He's being murdered by these people. And what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't know if I could do that, y'all. As I'm being brutally murdered, in the middle of it, offer forgiveness this is where Jesus is different, is that while you are still committing the offense, he offers forgiveness. While you're still in the middle of running away from God, Jesus is reaching out his hand and saying, would you come and be a part of the family? Listen, if you would just call out to me, I will forgive you. It's already been done. It's already there for you. I don't know about you. My life has been a whole bunch of not knowing what I'm doing. And Jesus said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Man, Ain't none of us know what we're doing, if we're being honest. While you're still committing the offense against him, he offers forgiveness. I mean, who does that? Who's crazy enough to forgive someone before they're even done committing the crime? Like if somebody broke into your house and starts stealing all your stuff, they take your big screen TV and they're walking out with it and then you run out and say, hey, I forgive you. <laughs> the dude gonna be like, uh, okay, I will be taking this, okay, you know? Who does that? I'd be like, no, give me my TV. <laughs> like, I got to watch some football on there. You know what I'm saying? I got some, this football season, I don't need my TV. My kid needs Miss Rachel. I can't live without it. I'm not going to forgive you now. I might forgive you later. But right now, I want to be mad. God doesn't deal with us like that. 
And I'm grateful that he doesn't deal with me like that. Jesus is different. It says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while you were still sinning, while you were still committing the offense against God, while you were still running away from God, Christ died for us. Amen? You could have sinned on your way over here. You could have cussed at the barista for making your coffee wrong this morning. I don't know, I don't know what you, you might go out from this place and be sinning. I do not know your story. You could be living a life of sin right now. But in the middle of your offenses, Jesus is offering forgiveness today to you and to me. Here's the, the point. If, if I could say one thing that I want you to hold on to, it's this. The Bible says there is only one that stands condemned, and his name is Satan. So why are you condemning yourself? It's time to receive forgiveness from God, whether you're a Christian for 40 years or you've never believed in God before. It's time to let go of your past and receive the forgiveness of God today and to forgive yourself from the things that you've done. It's time to move on. You know what the best part is? Is that God can use a guilty person for a good purpose. Amen? God can use you no matter what you've done. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And in the moment when David was sinning against God, he could have probably asked, how in the world could God use my massive failure to impact somebody else? How could God use my failure for good? And yet thousands of years later, Thousands of miles away, there's some people sitting in a small church auditorium with kids screaming in the background, recognizing that if God can forgive David, he can forgive me. If God can forgive Peter for denying him three times, if Jesus can forgive that, he can forgive me. If God can forgive Moses and Abraham and David and Paul and all the people that messed up in the Bible, and yet these are the men and women that we look up to, And God can certainly use me. If David could forgive himself, then I can forgive me. You see, Paul's future was not determined by his past. But he let it propel him into what God had for him. I'm loved by God. I will live in freedom. And I'm forgiven today by the grace of God. That's my new name. Would you stand with me today? The Bible says this. It says, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, this is, this is the action step for you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Notice the order that's put in. Many people, y'all try to come into this place purified and righteous. And that's not how you have to do it. It says you confess your sins first, then he forgives, then he purifies. We flip it. We say, I got to be pure and holy before I come to church so that I'm not looking bad. No, come on, man. You're in the right place if you're messed up. All you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says you will be saved. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. That's Bible. That's all you have to do. And so there's some people in this place today with every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to ask a couple of different questions. 
maybe you say, Pastor, I have faith in God. I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in the Lord, but I'm just holding on to a bunch of stuff from my past. I'm still letting it define me. I'm still condemning myself for it, and it's, it's eating me alive. I need to move on. Let me tell you, it's time to receive God's forgiveness. Don't identify with your old self, but identify as a son or daughter of the Most High God. Don't let those thoughts dominate your mind and your heart. Condemnation is not for you. It is conviction of the Holy Spirit right now. And let it lead you to a place of repentance and life. You want to be free from those things today. And you want to let go. Drop them off at the altar and move on. Knowing that you are free and forgiven. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to see you today. Raise your hand. Look right up at me real quick. Come on, I see you. A few people all across this room today. I see you guys, I see you. Come on, amen. You can put your hands down, beautiful. Maybe there's some people in here today, the second thing, you need a straight up name change. It's time for you to not be Saul any longer, to identify with your past self. It's time for you to move on, to be Paul, to have that moment with Jesus the same way that Saul was encountered by Jesus. He appeared to him. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is in this room today. And he is appearing to you right now. He's talking to your heart. He's talking to your mind. And he's saying, would you come to me? Would you leave behind your old name? And would you move forward into the life that I have for you? Maybe you've never been to church before. You know that you're living in sin. And you know that you need forgiveness. You know that you need to get right with God today. You say, I need to get right with God. Well, the best part of the story is, is that Jesus died on the cross, but he rose again on the third day. And he is alive and well, and he is in this place today through the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking, healing, bringing hope and peace and life. And all you have to do is say, God, I give my life to you today. And if that's you, you wanna make that decision right here, right now on Radical Church's third birthday. Man, would you just raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three, is that you in this place? I see you, man, I see you, I see you. Anybody else? Come on, I see you right over here. Come on, y'all. I see you guys right over here. Anybody else? I see you right here in the back. Absolutely. Come on. Yes, I see you. Is there anybody else today that wants to give your heart and life to Jesus? Raise your hand and look right up at me. I want to make sure I see you. Come on, man, man. I see you. Yes, sir. Awesome. Awesome. I see you. You can put your hands down. About seven or eight people giving their hearts and lives to Jesus today. Come on, let's give God praise for a second. Beautiful. Amazing. Amazing. Hey, would you pray this prayer along with me all together? Come on, somebody say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Help me to forgive myself. I give my life to you today. Lord, would you move in me? Would you change me from the inside out? I give you everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give a shout of praise to Jesus in the house of God today. Somebody's name is being changed. Come on, we've had three years of witnessing the goodness of God in this place. Come on, can we just for a second put our hands together and worship Jesus for a little bit longer today? We're going to celebrate. We've had over 10 people give their hearts to Jesus today. Let's give him praise. Come on. Oh, hell lost another one. I am free. Hell lost another one. I am free. Not today, Satan. Oh, uh-uh. Hell lost another one.
the front. We're going to say happy birthday to Radical Church on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Happy birthday. Come on. God is good. Amen.